Well, I want to begin today with a question. Maybe it's a question you haven't thought about. Maybe you've thought about it a lot. Who is the very last person you want to see in heaven? You thought about that? Maybe some of you have been thinking about it a whole lot. The very last person you want to see in heaven, the person in your mind who really doesn't deserve God's grace. Maybe uh, it's some of those people that Alec told us about in Rwanda, right? Can you imagine the evil of, of, of coming in and wiping out entire families? Would those people be beyond the offering of God's grace? Maybe it's uh, ISIS, right? Standing behind a, an innocent person with a dagger and, and then doing the unthinkable right there on video for all the world to see. Does that person deserve God's grace? Maybe for you, it gets personal. Uh, it's a boss, an arrogant boss, who at some point derailed your career, and years later, you still can point back and you wonder, where would I be? What would I be doing if not for that one individual? Maybe it's someone who has really hurt your family along the way. Or maybe for you, it's a spouse who took off when the kids were young, and you worked two jobs just to make ends meet, provide for your children, and now you see him or her smiling in the Bahamas on Facebook. And you think, there's something not right about that. Who is it that would be the last person you want to see in heaven? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 as we continue our series on the life of Christ. Today we're going to consider an encounter at the Sea of Galilee that helps us understand the extent of God's grace, this free offering that God gives unconditionally. This story is recorded here in Matthew chapter 9. It's also recorded in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. Each writer contributes significant insight to the story. Let me set the context of the story, then I want to read the story and then make four observations. Let me set the context. At this point in the life of Christ, he is headquartered in Capernaum, right north of the Sea of Galilee. According to the Gospel of Mark, on this particular morning, Jesus goes out for a walk by the Sea of Galilee. He did that often. We don't know why he went. Maybe he went to pray. Maybe he went to, to get away from Peter's house where he was staying just to get some time alone. Uh, Jesus spends so much time by the Sea of Galilee, a lot of commentators think that was something he loved. It was a place that was quiet as he heard the waves and the sunrise across the beautiful sea. On this day, Jesus wasn't alone for long because a crowd gathered. They always did wherever Jesus was, particularly at this time in Jesus' ministry. This is called the time of popularity. And everyone in Capernaum knew who Jesus was. Everyone in Capernaum knew what Jesus was, te was teaching. They had heard and seen his miracles. In fact, just a, a few days earlier, Jesus 
had raised this man who was paralyzed. In Mark chapter 9, gives a story. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them and he took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And check this out. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen what? Seen remarkable things today. So on that day, Jesus is by the shore and people have gathered. And here's what happens. Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. There Jesus quoting from Hosea, the Old Testament, Hosea 6.6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. Now, if you were a Jew, the last person you would want to see in heaven was a what? A tax collector. Those two words would make your blood boil. Tax collectors were thieves, they were robbers, they were extortionists, and they were living the high life with your hard-earned money. There is only one person the Jews hated more than a tax collector. Who was it? A Jewish tax collector. (laughs) The Jewish tax collector was a person who had sold out. They had left the worship of God. They could no longer go to the synagogues. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. They could no longer be a witness in a court of law because they were so dishonest. And they had sided with Rome and Rome was taxing the Jews into poverty. Rome taxed for everything. There were real estate taxes, import-export taxes. There were taxes on grain. There were taxes on fruit. There was a a man's income tax, a 1% of everything he made. There were road taxes anytime you went anywhere. If you had traveled from the South Hills to go to Wilkinsburg, there would have been a, a tax you had to pay to get into Wilkinsburg. Washington, same thing. Robinson, same thing. You would have paid taxes for your vehicle, your cart back in those days. Everything they could tax, they taxed. Now, if you were a Roman, you could at least say, well... They give us some raunchy entertainment in the theaters for it. But the Jews said, we want no part of that. Our life is separated from that. We desire to worship God. We don't want to associate with immoral things. We don't want to associate with immoral people. Hated the tax collectors. Now, Rome decided the cheapest way to collect collect taxes was to sell tax tax franchises. McDonald's was not the first to do this. So they sold these franchises to the highest bidder in a particular area. So you bought a franchise to do the taxes. And then you hired people to uh, collect the taxes. There were two types of tax collectors. There was one called the Gabai, and they were kind of the general tax collectors. They did property tax and income tax and poll taxes. And then there was a group called the Mokis, and they did the import taxes and export uh, taxes, taxes on goods and on travel. There were two kinds of Mokis. There were the great Mokis, who were the franchise owners. They owned the whole thing. They were the business owners. And then there were the little Mokis. 
that actually manned the tax offices, the CEOs, COOs, or, or CFOs. Matthew was a little mokey because he was actually manning the tax office. And the great monkeys, they stayed in the background. No one really knew who they were. They just knew there were a lot of wealthy men around, but they didn't always know the owners. But the little monkeys, they were the face of the hated occupation. Matthew was the worst of the worst. Tax collector and sinner. I mean, they were synonymous words. And Matthew had a great gig. He had a tax station located by the Sea of Galilee. So he got a lot of the taxes coming in from uh, fishermen on the sea. And he was located on what was called the Great West Road. And it ran from Arabia all the way across to the Mediterranean Sea. And so if you had some Arabian goods and you wanted to take them to the sea to get on a Phoenician ship to go west to Spain or wherever... You had to go through Matthew's booth, and he always got a piece of the pie. But Jesus looked Matthew right in the eyes, this robber, this thief, this extortionist, this traitor, this man living in blatant materialism, this man who had forfeited his Jewish roots for money. This man who had sided with the oppressive Roman government. And Jesus looked him right in the eye and said, what? Follow me. Follow me. Think about what the other disciples thought. Jesus, you've got to be kidding. Matthew, you are offering an opportunity to follow you to Matthew? Now remember, among the disciples, there were zealots. There were at least two zealots. And zealots were, were those who wanted to, to, to forcibly and violently overtake the Roman government. And here Matthew works for the Roman government. And then there were fishermen. And there were days when they either stood before Matthew or guys like Matthew to pay the taxes that they brought in from the sea. And now Jesus is saying, Matthew, follow me. One commentator says, it is almost impossible to believe that the disciples could get along with each other for five minutes. Except for the presence of who? Jesus. It always changes things, doesn't he? The person of Jesus and the grace that Jesus offers. Here's the first observation from this story. God's mercy through Jesus pardons the greatest sin. God's grace through Jesus satisfies the greatest sinner. See, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how terrible you think of yourself or your past. Jesus Christ came to pay for your sin. And that person that you don't want to be in heaven, that last person you want to see, that person who has done things that are unthinkable, yeah, Jesus died for that person's sin as well. God's mercy through Jesus pardons the greatest sin. God's grace through Jesus satisfies the greatest sinner. And his grace is for all, 
all who will come. He came to seek and save those who were lost. And that includes all of mankind. Here's the second point. When Jesus says, follow me, it's a gracious call to a brand new life. A call to a brand new life. When Jesus was on earth, there were a lot of other teachers. There were a lot of other Jewish teachers who called themselves rabbis. And each of these rabbis had a group following them called what? Disciples. The Greek word for disciple means a learner. So these rabbis would have this group following them, and the purpose of the group was to follow the rabbi, to learn everything the rabbi said, to memorize everything the rabbi said as he went to other places and taught similar things, right? They were to memorize, and then they were to pass that information on, just like the disciples did. But there was something different about Jesus. When he called people to, to follow him, there's a different tense of the word that he uses, and it doesn't mean follow me, like get in line behind me. When Jesus calls disciples to follow him and us, the word is follow with me. Follow beside me. It's amazing, isn't it? That Jesus wants us to walk right with him. Beside him. The creator of the universe. God in the flesh. Says, I don't want to walk and you follow behind me. I want you to be right with me. Step for step. I, I want you to experience the, the greatest adventure in your life. I want you to understand grace. I want you to feel grace poured over you and your sins washed away. Follow is a gracious call that Jesus gives us. Have you accepted that call? Just like Alec, Alex reminded us, you can, you, you, know, you can pack all the boxes you want, but does it come from an empty heart? You can pack all the boxes you want, but is it packed with an understanding of God's grace and the prayer that that box takes that grace and extends it one person at a time, one kid at a time throughout the world? Have you accepted the call to follow Jesus Christ? The disciples were shocked that Jesus would look at Matthew and say, follow me. They were even more shocked that what? Matthew followed Matthew had the best life that you could imagine if you're into materialism. He had it all. He had a great gig. But Luke says, Matthew left what? Everything to follow Jesus. Matthew left it all. Matthew was not willing to, 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 to hold on to one thing that would hold him back of full out full orbed following Jesus. Matthew left everything. You know, I, I, there, there are a lot of believers today who think, who understand that they can have Jesus and everything else too, right? They can have Jesus as a good insurance policy for when they die. 
But then they can have everything in the world that they desire and they want. So they can accept Jesus or trust in Jesus or invite Jesus into their heart, but they don't have to follow him. In, in his book, Who Speaks for God, Charles Colson tells a story about an infamous gangster in Chicago, Mickey Cohen. And if you Google the, the famous gangsters in Chicago, Mickey Cohen is one of the five that comes up. One evening, Cohen went to an evangelistic meeting that was held in Chicago. And everyone there, they were shocked that Mickey Cohen was at the meeting. And they thought, man, because we like Christian celebrities, right? What a catch Mickey Cohen would be. So they started uh, sending people to talk to Mickey Cohen. And, and after one long session, they urged him to open his heart to Christ. And, and Cohen responded. They were so excited in Chicago. But then many months passed and there was no change in his life. He was still involved in a life of crime. He was still a gangster. And so some people went to confront him. And they told him, what's, what's up with this? Why are you still a gangster? And he said, well, time out. You didn't tell me I had to give up my work. I mean, there are Christian baseball players, Christian football players, Christian cowboys and politicians. Why not a Christian gangster? We might laugh at Cohen, but some people are just as confused today, aren't they? I can have that insurance policy of Jesus, but not really have him because I really want to follow my own desires, my own inclinations, all the stuff of my life. So the question is, have you left everything holding you back to follow Jesus? What are you holding on to? Now, Jesus is not asking you like Matthew to get up from your job and take off and follow him. Well, at least he may not be. Maybe he is. Are you willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? Are you willing to let down all those anchors that are holding you back, all that stuff in your, in your past, maybe in your present? Are you willing to let those things go to follow Jesus? Remember, Matthew left everything to follow him. Here's the third observation from the story. A real work of grace is never kept secret. What's the first thing that Matt, the very first thing, the very first thing that Matthew does as a follower of Jesus Christ is to go out, and Luke says he put on this huge banquet. He had a, he had a nice home, and he used the home to put on this beautiful banquet. They say in those, these homes, there were these halls that people ate. The ceilings were about uh, 20 feet high. They were 50 feet long, and they were about 20 feet wide. And that's where the great banquets were held in these homes. And, and that's probably where Matthew went. And, and he called all the people he knew, right? Who were those people he knew? They were the outcasts, other tax collectors, and sinners. When Matthew and the other gospel writers use the word sinner, notorious sinners, those who are living a lifestyle of sin. See, those, those are the only people that Matthew knew, and those were the people he desired to hear, for them to hear the message of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. Who's the last person you invited 
to hear the message of Jesus Christ. When we have a cool restaurant, right? We tell everybody about it. Have you eaten at that new restaurant? Now, for me, it's a diner. Have you eaten at that diner? And a diner is only a diner if they serve breakfast all day long, just so we're clear on that. <laughs> have you eaten at that? That's awesome. I remember when uh, Michael was first out here. Michael said, where's some good diners out in that area? So we went to the Oakdale Diner. And we told everybody about the Oakdale Diner. When you, something else happens in your life, a great sale going on. Man, you got to go check this out. Why are we so reluctant to share Jesus? We share things that are important to us, don't we? George Barnes said 82%, eight out of ten, over 8 out of 10 people who don't go to church would if someone who did go to church invited them. It's an amazing statistic. I had someone uh, in the South Hills campus a couple weeks ago say, I took you up on that statistic just to see. I invited someone, and they're coming today. It was amazing. They, you know what they said? I've never been to church before. Sure, I'll come and check it out. Men, Thanksgiving breakfast is coming up this coming Saturday at all our campuses. This is a great time for all of our campuses to come together. So you can invite men to the Thanksgiving breakfast this Saturday. You can go on the website and get all the times and everything. Thanksgiving and Christmas is a beautiful opportunity for every believer to share Jesus Christ, right? To let people really know who this holiday, holy day, is about. Jesus Christ, why he came, what he did, and how he's changed your life. You see, that's what people want to know, right? So I've heard about Jesus. I can see all this stuff about Jesus. I can watch these television preachers about Jesus. I want to know, how did he change your life? Because you're my friend. How has he changed your life? Why is he important to you? Because if you're my friend, since you're my friend, and he's important to you, I want to hear more about that. Man, what a tremendous opportunity. That's the first thing that Matthew does. He shares Jesus. Well, the word got around, and the Pharisees didn't appreciate that Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors for one and notorious sinners for another. And so they went to his disciples, and they said, Why does your master, that guy you follow, why does he hang out with the riffraff, the outcast, the known sinners? Jesus heard about it, and look at verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. If you think you're spiritually healthy, you're not. But I didn't come for you. I came for those who know they're sick, and I'm in a room with people who know they're sick. And then he quoted... Hosea chapter 6, but go and learn this. This would have been a stinging remark to those Pharisees who were the, the learned of their day, the experts in the law. Jesus says, hey, you go and learn something. Go and learn 
what Hosea 6.6 6 says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus uses the word sacrifice to include the entire religious system that you've sold out to. I desire grace. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That sacrifice is, is just preparing for me, the Lamb of God, to come, the Savior. I desire that you accept my forgiveness and you extend it to others. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Pharisees, if you think you're righteous, if you think you can work your way to God on your own, if you think by keeping all these laws you can somehow be good enough for God, then knock yourself out. Because I need you first to understand this. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. Fourth observation is this. Religion sucks the life out of grace, doesn't it? Religion sucks the life out of grace. Well, Matthew wrote, followed Jesus, left everything, followed Jesus, wrote this gospel, first gospel of Matthew. He only mentions himself twice in the gospel here and in the list of disciples. Matthew shared Jesus throughout Israel and abroad. After he left that tax collector's booth and left everything, he followed Jesus all the way to, church tradition says, being burned at the stake. Gave up his life for Jesus Christ. From that day at the seashore, he lived and died by God's great grace and he, that God had poured out on him. That day, Jesus invited him, follow me. And he left it all to follow him. Matthew's story reminds us that God's grace is sufficient. That God's grace covers every sin. He saved us, right? Sinners to the core. And he wants to extend that grace to everyone we know as we invite people to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Have you followed him, one, and are you willing to share more than great restaurants? Are you willing to share Jesus Christ? Father, I pray that the answer is yes. I pray that just like Alex was physically saved and then more important, spiritually saved. And now sharing that message, I pray that we who have known your sovereign grace in our lives. I pray that we extend that grace to others. I pray that we give a great banquet like Matthew did and invite our friends to tell them, here is the driving person in my life. Here is the most important person in my life. His name is Jesus Christ, and I want to introduce him to you. May we introduce others to Jesus Christ by what we say, and what we do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one couple that has answered the call of Christ to follow him to another area of the kingdom is uh, Michael and Christina. You guys have come up at this time. For those of you at our other campuses, Michael and Christina have been a part of our church, man, uh, for when I came here. 
uh, you were part of our church. Michael was in the seventh grade uh, when I came, and I remember playing basketball with you in your driveway. That was a great court. It's a great court. Great court, great times. And it's gone fast. Man, it's gone fast. Mike's going to be leaving here to take a senior pastorate position in Winchester, Kentucky, uh, uh, Christian uh, Calvary Christian Church, uh, a lot like ours in many ways, has a, multi, has a multi-site church, has some uh, three campuses, a coffee house downtown, a school. Uh, so Michael leaves to take some significant uh, work. Um, been a part of the Bible Chapel for many, many, many years. Um, I remember calling Michael from my office uh, when he was doing an internship with Focus on the Family. I think it was your last semester of college at Asbury. And, uh, and um Asked him to come and be our campus, uh, our um, our youth pastor, and he accepted that and uh, came. And he and Christina were married and both worked in that together. And and um, Christina again, very personally, Lori and I cannot tell you how much we appreciate the impact you had on our oldest daughter Brittany. Uh, I still remember Brittany coming coming home from meeting Christina at Applebee's or wherever, and just the great uh, times. So thank you personally from Lori and I, uh, from Lori and me, just the the impact you've had on our family and many, many other teens throughout the church. After seminary, after that year and a half, Michael went to seminary and came back. And uh, probably, I, I, we were talking about this at our staff meeting the other day, and I don't know of a ministry at the church that Michael has not had his uh, fingerprint on. And uh, uh, he has been involved in so many things, including the multi-sites. Uh, this was uh, one of the things that we worked on together whether or not the Bible Chapel would even want to do multi-sites. Remember, we went to a, a, a conference and we thought, ah, I don't know if we want to do this. And we both came back saying, yeah, this is something we, we believe God calling us to do. And so it's exciting to start this. Uh, you guys are the first site uh, here in, uh, in Robinson. We always talk about uh, in leadership training, which Michael's been huge, uh, had, a, had a huge impact on. Uh, you, you, you really know if you're a leader um, when you leave. Because when you leave, you can see what you've built. And we are so thankful uh, for the strong, strong leadership team uh, here in Robinson. And so while we are very sad uh, to see Michael go, uh, we are so thankful and confident uh, in the leadership uh, that, uh, that Michael has built here uh, at Robinson. And so, Michael, we are sad and excited at the same time. Um, so um, I'm going to give you a chance to to say uh, whatever you'd like to say. Well, on behalf of Christina and I, we uh, echo those same sentiments. We are uh, mixed emotions, sad and excited. Uh, Mostly today, though, we just want to say thank you. Uh, This church has been a home for us, and to each of you who has invested in our life and in our family, uh, you've given us such tremendous love and support throughout the years that we are uh, very grateful. And so we mostly want to say thank you today. Uh, We also want to say thank you to the Lord for his faithfulness to us. He has uh, clearly directed us and just uh, confirmed that direction in multiple ways. And so we're grateful for his faithfulness in our life, uh, personally as a family, and also uh, with the church that gives us great confidence that we can all move forward uh, connected to following him. Christina, one more chance. You're over. (laughs) You're 0 for 2. You can make a 1 for 3. You're good? All right. We're going to invite all the campuses to stand in Wilkinsburg and Washington and South Hills. And we're going to invite a Robinson campus to come forward and surround uh, Michael and Christina as we pray for them. 
and uh, commissioned them uh, to do the work of the Lord there in Winchester, Kentucky. Guys, get tight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good gifts that you give us in our lives. You give us the, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we follow him, you give us the gift of uh, partners uh, to walk this journey. And we thank you for Michael as a, a partner, a friend, uh, um, a partner in ministry, a leader here in Robinson, a person who has uh, been so influential in just about every ministry of our church. We thank you, Father, for the years that uh, you have given him here. We thank you for uh, his leadership and the way he has uh, poured into the lives of others. We thank you, Lord, that standing here and standing in all the campuses, uh, there are individuals that Michael has poured his life into. And we thank you that they are standing and standing strong because of the gifts and passion that you gave Michael. We pray, Father, that you would be with him, be with his family as they transition into a new school, be with the kids as they go to a new school and a new town. And we pray, Father, that you just have friends there waiting on them to embrace them, make that transition smooth. Be with Michael and Christina as they take on a new season of life, a new, uh, a new level of leadership. And I pray, Father, that, that you would just uh, help them to make a tremendous impact there in Winchester, Kentucky, the kingdom there in Winchester. And may it just um, spread throughout that area. Continue to give him vision, continue to give him strength. Thank you, Father, for his tremendous gifts. And I pray that you just turn them loose in that part of the kingdom. And so, Father, we stand here with mixed emotions. We're sad to see Michael go. And, uh, and we're excited to see what you're going to do with him. And so we, we leave him in your hands. And Lord, we release him in, in one aspect to you. Use him in a mighty, mighty way. Protect him, guard him, strengthen him, and use him, we pray. And everyone across the campuses said, Amen. Amen. Amen.